0: What now? Thank you, Paul. Again, let's praise God for those who serve uh, Him. I want to get right into the Word of God. Um, Last week, we continued on in our series uh, entitled What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today. We're gonna go back into what is called the Olivet Discourse, one of the long conversations recorded in the Gospels between Jesus and his disciples. Now, Matthew 24 and 25 records this conversation, this time of teaching and sharing the words of Jesus. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Now, just to recap, he is explaining to them or sharing with them about events that are on the horizon. Three major events that were on the horizon, some in the intermediate, but mostly towards the uh, end times or the eye towards the end time. Uh, first, about the destruction of Jerusalem. Secondly, about what would be the sign of the second coming of the Messiah. And then thirdly, what will be the signs of the end of the age. What many call the church age will give way uh, to what is called the kingdom. Age And so Jesus is giving these signs, and I want you to pay close attention to what he's saying, because as a good parent does, he is simply trying to tell his children what is on the horizon so that we would not be taken by surprise. And, and, and I want us to remember one of the major things that he says. If we had to kind of put an umbrella over the signs that he gives, the nine or so signs that he gives, the the real umbrella would be there's a time of great judgment that's coming on the world. You know, God is loving, but he is also just. Some may ask, why would God judge? Well, it's because he is good. As a matter of fact, one pastor said it this way, that man's greatest problem and greatest blessing is the goodness of God. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, because he's good, that means he has to be just. That means he can't just overlook. Sin. Let me give you an example of that. Imagine if somebody broke into your house and they stole all your goods, but you had one of those uh, services that had cameras all around your house, and you captured every bit of it. Their face and all of the things that they stole was all captured. Imagine you got an attorney, you went before a judge, opening shack case, but the judge looked and said, you know what, all the evidence is here, but you know, I'm a good judge, and I'm just going to let the criminal off. How would you feel about that? Well, most of us, if we were honest, we'd be incensed, we'd be angry because we know even in our emotions that if you're a good judge, you can't just let criminals off, you have to bring justice. Well, God is good. And so because he is good, he's going to bring justice. Look at uh, verse 21 of chapter 24. Just by way of recap, he says, for then there will be, a, be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. There's going to be severe tribulation. But don't make you think that this is because God isn't good. No, it's because he is good. He's been warning and warning, and now the time for judgment is at hand. And this will be no small judgment. If you remember what we talked about last week, this is going to be a galaxy-shaking type of judgment, an unparalleled type of judgment. Look, if you will, at verse 29. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. As beautiful as stars are, the moon eclipses their beauty. As beautiful as the moon is, the sun eclipses its beauty. As beautiful and as radiant as the sun is, what this verse tells me is that God is superior to it all. Sun, moon, stars, planets, all are the works of his handiwork. He is all powerful and he will shake his creation. He will send judgment to the world. And why? It is because he is just and he is good and he has given man time to repent and to turn from their sins, but eventually he has to deal with the inequity and injustice that's in the world. But remember what I said, his goodness is not only our greatest challenge or problem, but it's also our greatest blessing. Because he is good, he has given us a way out, a way to avoid the judgment. How many by the show of hands would love to avoid the judgment that's coming? Well, he gives us wisdom on how we can do that. Keep your finger here and turn with me quickly to the words of Jesus found in John chapter five. John chapter five, verse 24. He says these words, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You know, if you're studying the Bible the right way, there should be certain times where you got to sit it down and have a praise break. There should be times where you just got to stop your study and say, Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Anybody ever run into a passage like that that just causes you to stop and say thank you? This is one of those passages. He says, listen, you can avoid the judgment. How do we avoid the judgment? It's by trusting in God and in his unchanging word. This is what Jesus is giving us is his unchanging word. Colin Smith, who's a pastor out of Chicago, puts it this way, that the heart of the gospel is to proclaim the way to avoid the judgment and to save men from the wrath of God by his grace. The heart of the gospel is to save men from the wrath of God by His grace. Yes, He is just, yes, He will judge, but He wants us to be able to avoid it. And so this is why He gives us these words. Today we're gonna look at verses 36 through 51 and the real question that is in front of us is simple, are you ready? Are you ready? Have you put your trust in God and in His unchanging Word? That's what it takes for us to be ready. You know, there are certain moments in life that if you are unprepared, you will pay a small consequence. Then there's other moments in life where if you're not ready, you're going to pay a big consequence. Let me give you just two examples of that. One is parenting. How many in here can be honest that when you had your first kid, you were not ready? How many uh, can, can agree with that? You just weren't ready. I'll never forget the first diaper I changed. You know, I thought I was ready. We had gone through all of the practices on those baby dolls during uh, uh, the uh, warm-up, if you will, to the baby coming. And uh, here I was with my precious little one, uh, and it was time for the diaper to be changed. And I thought, hey, everything was done and and ready for me. I opened up that diaper, and any parent in here ever been surprised that the kid wasn't done yet? (laughs) Next thing I know, my little precious baby is peeing all over my shirt. And it cost me, friends. Uh, That day, it only cost me a shirt, though. But there's other times when being unprepared costs you big. How many remember 2005, Hurricane Katrina? Anybody remember that, Hurricane Katrina? Nearly 2,000 people died in Hurricane Katrina. And one report said it this way, that the city leaders and some of its residents have become complacent concerning hurricanes. They become complacent. And in their complacency, lives were lost. They could never be regained again. Friends, what we're about to read is worse than losing your shirt. It is worse than even losing your physical life. If you're unprepared for what Jesus is about to teach us, then you will lose your very soul. Look at verse 36 through 44 with me. He simply says these words, So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect." Jesus is very clear here about several things. Let's start in verse number 36. First thing that he's very clear in is no man knows the hour, not the angels, not even the Son of Man. Now, for some, this is giving them a little bit of uh, discomfort concerning the deity of Jesus. If he is Lord of all, if he is actually the second person in the Trinity, God in the flesh, wouldn't he be omniscient? Well, let me just relieve some tension here. This is not an assault against his omniscience. No, in his incarnate state, remember, he has uh, both nature of human and divine. I love the way that Moody Bible Commentary puts it. I just want to read this to you. Uh, They quote here Robert H. Gundry from his Matthew Commentary. It says this, "'It's important to remember that Jesus had both a human and divine nature.'" In his humanity, he grew tired, could hunger, and apparently could choose to be ignorant of certain things not necessary or profitable for him or others to know. By saying that no one knows the time, what Jesus is saying is that trying to calculate the time is not profitable for you. But yet we seem to still have the tendency in every generation to try to have some sense of the precise moment or day that Jesus is coming. Listen, that's the opposite of what he's told us to do. That's the opposite of what he's encouraged us to do. So the next time somebody comes along and tells you it's going to be October 23rd on this year, you ignore them. Don't worry because they're probably wrong. No one knows the day. No one knows the time. What he's trying to emphasize here is the importance of being prepared whenever it happens. Because here's what he wants us to do. It is to live with a sense of urgency and expectancy that any day could be the day. You know, it reminds me of uh, growing up as a kid. My mom and dad would give us chores. Mom, in particular, uh, had a list of things we were supposed to do when we got home from school. So my brother and I got home from school around 3 o'clock every day. And we knew mom and dad would get home about 5 o'clock every day. And so when would we start doing the dishes? When would we start cleaning up? About five minutes before, we knew they were going to get home. Can I get an amen? Amen. Some of you come from the same school of laziness I came from. And so we thought we had it perfectly timed, about 4.55, start cleaning your room, throw the dishes in the dishwasher, and everything be A-OK. But so many times we were caught red-handed. We were not ready, and oh, was that judgment severe, galaxy-shaking and unparalleled. You know, God doesn't want us to be unprepared. I love what D.A. Carson says about this passage. He says this, that this is as much about the unexpected nature of the second coming as it is about the second coming. Jesus is coming, and he is coming at a day, an hour in which no one knows. And look at the analogy he gives us here. He gives us the analogy of the days of Noah. Oh, if you know anything about that time, it was a time that was marked by distraction, by sin, and disinterest in God. Kind of describes our generation. Distracted by pleasure, the enjoyment of things, and very much disinterested in the things of the Spirit, the things of God. Very little pursuit of God in our broader culture. Very much pursuit of things and pleasures and moments of enjoyment. What were they doing? They were uh, eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage. They were having fun and thinking that they had time. I hope that that doesn't describe you. I hope that you haven't become so caught up in toys and the pleasures of this world that you've forgotten that heaven is far greater. I hope that you haven't ignored his offer of grace and salvation. Listen, all of our resumes are damaged and bruised. None of us are perfect. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only difference between one beggar and another beggar is some have accepted the offer of food. Jesus offers to us The bread of life. He offers to us the thing that our soul craves more than anything else. He says, drink from me my will, the water I give, you will never be thirsty again. And so why try to fill yourself up on this world's pleasures? It's fool's gold. But this is exactly what was happening in the days of Noah until Noah entered that ark. And when he entered that ark, the flood came. And the scripture says here that when that flood came, they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He will come in a way that will bring swift judgment, and many will be unprepared and unexpecting. You know, it's kind of like that moment where somebody pops up at your house and they didn't call and your house is a mess. You're just not ready. And if you had known, you would have prepared a meal. You would have, at a bare minimum, thrown everything in that closet that you throw everything in. We all have it. But the fact of the matter is, is that when we're not prepared, we are caught off guard and judgment comes So what is the warning here? What does Jesus want us, you and I, to take away from these verses? It is to be prepared. To be prepared. Look at what he says in verse number 42. He says, stay awake. And then in verse number 43, he gives this analogy, but know this, if... That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Again, second time, stay awake. Verse 44, he says it with, with emphatic tension. He says, Therefore, you also must be ready. Are you ready? And how do we know that we are ready? Well, two ways we know that we are ready. Number one, if we have put our faith firmly in Christ alone for the salvation of our sins. Listen, you can't inherit salvation from mom or dad. It is not socially given, and it does not come because you and I are so sweet or good. It comes Only through the perfect, sinless life of Jesus Christ, who laid his life down on that cross, shed his blood for you and I. And when we put our faith and trust in him, how many thank God he forgives us, and we can sing the song, praise God, my sins are gone. Praise God, my sins are gone. It only comes through faith and trust in him. But there's a second way that we prove that we are ready. Verse 14, go back to verse 14 with me. Look at what it says. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. Where? Throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. We are not prepared if we think that uh, we got enough fire insurance for our own souls but we don't proclaim this good gracious gospel to our friends, family members, and neighbors. One of the ways we demonstrate that we are prepared is our witnessing, our our faith sharing, is when we are sharing with others that Jesus is offering us salvation, we are called to be his witnesses. And what will hasten his return? It is our faithfulness in sharing Christ. Who is it that God has placed in your pathway, in your life, for you to be a witness to? Let's not wait for some traveling evangelist to come in to preach to our neighbors. That's why God sent us there. Remember what we've just studied. We've been placed for a purpose. Let's not wait for some pastor to reach our family. That's why God placed us there, for us to bear witness to them. Let's not wait for for someone to try to get a heart to reach our coworkers with the gospel. That's why God placed you on that job. I hope that you didn't think it was just for a paycheck. No, he doesn't give us jobs just for a paycheck. He provides for our needs while we are on mission for him at that workplace. He doesn't give us a home just because it's a beautiful neighborhood. He places us there so that we might bear witness to those neighbors. He doesn't give us a family just to surround us by people, but he surrounds us with the very ones that we're supposed to proclaim his mercy, grace, and goodness to. Are you prepared? Have you secured your own relationship with the Lord? This passage calls and begs us to evaluate the condition of our own hearts and our own souls. And if you've wandered away from him, today could be the day where you come home again. One of the things that I want to teach my children is, yes, how to love God and how to live for him, but I also want to teach them how to come home again when they fall. Because what I know is I'm not raising perfect children, and neither did my parents. But what I have to do is teach them how to come home again if they've fallen. Have you done that? Have you shared the goodness of God with people that he's placed on you, along your pathway with an urgency that matches the words of Jesus that no one knows? These words are not given to make those of us who have trusted in Christ insecure, but it has been given so that we might have a heightened sense of urgency that there's no time for procrastination. Some people may ask, why does Woodside campus? We're campusing because there's no time for procrastination wherever we can keep a lighthouse open for the gospel where a community can hear about the goodness of Jesus Christ, we wanna be there. Some will ask, why do we support so many missionaries and mission efforts? It's because there's no time for procrastination wherever there are faithful servants of God reaching their nation and their country with the good news of Jesus Christ We want to support them there. That's the reason why I'm on radio, because it simply is a megaphone in front of the mouth of the preacher to proclaim to a digital generation the good news of Jesus Christ. How many want all to hear of the good news of Christ, his mercy and his salvation? How many have that fervency in their hearts? That's what I love about this church. We're not apathetic about people coming to know Jesus. This is our lifeblood, and this is what we've been called to. I love what J.C. Rouse says. He's this British preacher. He says, the Christian ought to live like watchmen. The day of the Lord so cometh as the thief of the night. They should strive to be always on their guard. They should behave like the sentinel of an army in an enemy's land. They should resolve by God's grace not to sleep on their post. Let's not sleep. Let's not become apathetic. Let's not become lethargic. Let's remain focused. You've been placed in your neighborhood, in your family, on your job by God to be on mission for Him. Secondly, He tells us to be faithful. Look at verse number 45. He tells us, I'm sorry, verse, yeah, verse 45. He tells us what faithfulness looks like there. He says, who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on the day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. i got to be honest with you. You know, I, um, I pondered this passage again and again and again throughout the week, and this is one of those passages for a leader that is very jarring. It's very sobering. Clearly, Jesus is speaking to the leaders of Israel, the faith leaders of Israel, and those of us who lead his church by extension. We are the servants he has placed over the house. And the question is, have we been faithful? Faithful in what? Faithful in feeding his people The greatest responsibility we have, though as pastors we may feel tugged in a million different directions, the one and primary job I have is to make sure that I faithfully feed you God's Word so that you can build your life on God's Word and His faithfulness as we just sang. That's why I thank God for the legacy of faith in this church. Most churches can celebrate the ministry of a Dave Anderson who for 50 years plus has been faithfully feeding God's sheep. Or a Doug Schmidt who for now 30 years plus in this area has been feeding God's sheep. And you know the way that I read this text, you may retire from a position but you don't ever retire from ministry. No, you're called to faithfully feed God's people so that when the master returns, you can hear those words. What words? Well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. You only hear those words when you're not living for the masses, when you're not living for your own pleasure, but you're living for an audience of one, living for Jesus to hear those words. Well done, well done, well done. And yes, this applies to his church, but as a parent, I also read this through the lens of a dad and I think to myself, have I been faithful in making sure I'm feeding my children That's my first ministry, making sure I'm feeding them at home, not just natural food, but moms and dads. We are the primary evangelists and faith trainers in our children's lives. More kids should come to Christ in living rooms than at altars. Praise God when a kid comes to Christ through a VBS or a flip camp or some other summer program. That's wonderful, but you know what's even greater? is when they have memories that in my own home, in my own dining room, living room, in the car on the way to school, we prayed together, we talked about Jesus, and I heard about Christ from the lips of my parents or grandparents. How many believe that's the high calling of parenting, the high calling of grandparents is to be able to share our faith from one generation to the next? But all these words about the unfaithful servant, the one who drinks and eats, revels and abuses. We've seen a lot of that in church lately. Pastors and leaders behaving badly. I don't know what the account will be. Ultimately, only God knows. But I know this, that at this church, it is my utmost priority to make sure that our character matches our calling. It is my utmost priority to make sure that every member of our church is safe and protected, that this is not a place of spiritual or physical or verbal abuse, but this is a place where people can come and be introduced to the king of kings, the one who is gentle and lowly and can heal our souls. The church should be that type of place. You know, recently we have engaged a law firm, not because of anything wrong, but because we wanna make sure we're doing better, make sure we're doing our best. And we engage this law firm who, uh, focuses in on evaluating churches and ministries on uh, the best practices for protecting children in their church. We did this uh, last year just to be able to make sure we were, again, doing our best. But because of some recent events and because I've heard from some of the women of our church that are in leadership who I respect tremendously, we contacted that law firm and we said, you know, we'll let, we want you to extend your audit of our practices to make sure that we're creating a safe place for women because abuse is not okay. It's not okay in the church, it's not okay at home, it's not okay in any area of society. And the church has to make sure we make a stand in this area. And So we've invited that to happen, that, that investigation so that we can make sure that we are living up to the gospel. And I praise God for the women who have surrounded uh, not only me, but our elders to say we'll help to speak into that practice. Because what I pray will never be the case for our leaders is what we see here. Because the judgment is swift. And Jesus is clear in verse 51 where he says these words, and we'll cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. That's no kid on the on the playground saying those words. It's not someone who's just barking loud. That's the savior. That's the sovereign Lord. That's Jesus who will come in a galaxy-shaking, unparalleled fashion and bring judgment. He brings judgment on those that he calls here hypocrites. Hell is real. There is a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The same Bible who teaches us about God and heaven teaches us about Satan and hell, so we can't pick and choose. But if we have put our faith and trust in him, here's the good news. We can avoid the wrath that is to come. And how do we do it? By trusting in God and his unchanging word. And when we do that, then we are welcomed into his kingdom. We are his ambassadors and we have these invitations in our pockets that we can give to others and invite them to the eternal dinner of the lamb, that heavenly gathering place where we will be in his presence forevermore. So here's the question, my friends, are you ready? Have you put your faith and trust in him? And if you have not, today can be the day where you come home or maybe come home again. We're going to end in worship. I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship Jesus together. But if you're watching me online, I want you to respond now. Hundreds have done it over the last month. I want you to do it right now. Just type connect and we will pray with you or at least explain these things to you in greater fashion. And if you are here in the house today, after we worship, after we pray, I want you to come to the front so that our friends can pray with you so that today can be a day of rejoicing for you. How many thank God that your sins are gone? and that Jesus has shown you grace and mercy and forgiveness. Everybody stand all over the church. Everybody stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us again this great opportunity to worship you. We give you all praise and all glory. We love you, Jesus. And, Lord, we believe that you will come one day and judge all the injustice and evil in the world. But, Lord, let us first deal with the evil within us. Lord, forgive us cleanse our hearts, in Jesus' name, make all things new, and all of God's people said a big amen and amen. Come on and give God praise. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.